This is the Best Friends Podcast, dedicated to sharing the people and programs that are ending the killing of cats and dogs in America's animal shelters. You'll hear from animal welfare leaders from across the movement who will share the innovative and collaborative work that are creating life-saving successes in communities of all sizes. Welcome to the Best Friends Podcast. It is September, September the 2nd, in fact. My name is John Dunn, and today's episode is about saving senior pets. On the last episode, we talked to Lisa Lunghofer from the Gray Muzzle Organization. They're the only national organization that is focused solely on saving seniors. I always learn things on every episode, but one of the things she said to me just keeps rattling around in my brain, and that is this. There are very few organizations that are solely focused on saving senior pets. A few dozen rescue organizations across the entire country at best. Now, I was blown away by that for a couple of reasons. One, because we love seniors, right? We love the animals who need the most help, the ones no one else will help. That's who we're often drawn to. And the other realization is that the need is so big. There are senior pets in shelters across the country, wonderful pets with life left to live, and they're not even given a chance. So we wanted to talk to an organization that is out there saving seniors on the front line, a grassroots organization. Why do they do it? And what is life like for people who save senior pets? As NBC10's Mario Hilario reports, it speaks to their greater mission of caring for canines in need. Shorty is no dummy, but he has certainly cozied up to one. Meet his mannequin. Fark which stands for Fake Mark, named after Shorty's dad, Mark Peralta, who adopted him 11 years ago. Now Mark, who is a colleague of mine here at Best Friends, started Vintage Pet Rescue with his wife Kristen a few years ago. And if you're wondering just what the hell mannequins, dummies, Mark, Fark is all about, you will hear all about it in just a bit. But much more importantly, we will be talking about things you can do to help the lives of senior pets in your community. And I feel like it's been a while since we mentioned this, so we love hearing from you feedback about the podcast. What do you like? What do you not like? Our email is podcast at bestfriends.org. What are you doing in your community to help people and pets that you think others should know about? Are you saving seniors? Let us know. Podcast at bestfriends.org. And now my conversation with the co-founder of Vintage Pet Rescue, Kristen Peralta. Kristen, last week I talked to uh, Lisa Longhofer with the Gray Muzzle Organization, and we talked about uh, the sort of higher level picture of what's facing senior pets. Uh, And we wanted to also speak to an organization, a rescue organization out there on the front lines, grassroots, that is focused only on senior pets. And we immediately thought of Vintage Pet Rescue. Oh, well, thank you very much. Everything in the field is a labor of love and emotionally difficult. But, you know, if I had to rank things that were uh, the hardest for me, disaster response, right up there. Hope I never have to do that again. Uh, And working with seniors is really up there. I mean, you know, the the loss, it just must be really hard. So, I mean, why? I want to know how it came to be. Why did you decide to do this? Let's start at the beginning. Sure. So I grew up in Rhode Island, um, had, uh, you know, had dogs growing up, um, ended up as an adult moving out to Los Angeles. And I was out there for nine years. And that is where I met my husband, um, Mark. We uh, met in the shelter, actually, at the uh, NKLA Center, um, right as it was opening. And he had two senior pugs um, at that point. I did not have any pets of my own. We started dating and we ended up adopting a 
a senior pit bull um, who we still have, Asher. So that was kind of our first senior that we adopted together. And then we actually ended up taking in this little gosh, what was she like a Maltese uh, poodle mix? Um, her We named her Rue McClanahan. The shelter said she was eight. No, Now knowing what we know, I think we would say she's probably 14 or 15 at the time. We thought we'd have her for a few months. Um, she was definitely a hospice dog, um, but she ended up you know, staying with us and living for about a year and a half um, before we had to say goodbye to her. And when we actually said goodbye to her, we decided to adopt another senior dog in her memory. And it kind of just spiraled from there. We uh, became known as the people who took in senior dogs. So, you know, what started off as having, you know, three seniors went to four, and eventually we ended up with 10 senior dogs. Um, And this was well, this was well before Vintage Pet Rescue was even a thing. It was before we even thought about doing this. So when we decided to move back here to Rhode Island um, four years ago, we decided to actually do a legitimate rescue and created Vintage Pet Rescue. And um, we've now taken in hundreds of senior dogs over the last four years that we've been an actual rescue. And we have three programs right now. We have an adoption program. We have a forever foster program, and we also have our residents. So it's definitely, definitely growing and um, definitely much, much more than we ever anticipated four years ago when we started. And you did have a full-time job. I mean, you had a career until you decided to, to start the rescue. Yes. Yes, I did. Um, yeah. Mark has always worked in animal welfare. I was working in production accounting in Los Angeles. And when we came back here, this is this is what I decided to do. Um, I call it my full-time, non-paying volunteer job. <laughs> That's quite a leap, isn't it? Going from from a career to completely unpaid. But I got to think having Mark was a big help. You know, he's got the background, the knowledge, like a bazillion contacts. But, you know, you you did. I mean, you walked away from a stable career to start a rescue organization doing incredibly hard work. It's very hard. Every it's not it's not your typical cookie cutter. Oh, we're bringing in a litter of puppies and we know exactly what we're doing. We got to do their shots and then they go off to their own homes. Every dog we take in is coming in with 14 or 15 years of history. And right now we're really focusing on the dogs that are over 15 or dogs that are hospice. So we do take in some dogs that are younger, but maybe they only have four to six months to live. One thing we just started doing was we have taken in three younger paralyzed dogs in the last few months. So now we're getting used to expressing bladders and getting wheelchairs and doing the physical therapy for them. So everything is new. I feel like I wake up every day and I'll see a dog and I'll say, well, that's that's new. <laughs> that's something that wasn't happening yesterday. So we're constantly trying to figure out how we're going to manage different things. So there's a sort of disconnect in my brain uh, that kind of defies logic a bit. And, and 
that is that animal welfare, animal rescuers, we love a good story, don't we? Like we love a good story. We love the hard cases. I think that's why we're drawn to it, right? We care deeply about pets and people and we're just drawn to the hardest animals to save, the animals that nobody else will step up for. So then when you think of that, then I get confused about why that hasn't transferred into more senior pet rescue, senior pet programs. Now that you've been doing this for a while, do you have any sense of why that is? I mean, is it fear of having to raise the amount of money that you need to do to do this kind of work? Is it just marketing? Like, why do you think there's this contradiction? So I think, I think this is a, this is a great, great question. And this is something that I actually, Mark and I talk about all the time um, because we, we will work, we'll work with some pretty big shelters who have a really good reach, a really great social media presence, and they will reach out to us um, to take a, a senior dog or a hospice dog. And I always ask, well, have you, you know, have you reached out? Have you posted this dog? Oh no, no, we, we haven't even posted it. That's sometimes all it takes. All it takes is one post on Facebook with some cute photos and all the history, put it all out there. I mean, we are brutally honest in our posts. We tell everything about these dogs because we don't want people being, you know, bamboozled into taking a dog who you know, we're not giving them the full, the full story. So I, that's what I would say to these shelters and rescues who take in a dog who might be older or might be hospice. And honestly, their first thought is, well, nobody's going to want this dog, but there are people out there. There are definitely people out there where, where those people I've found a lot of those people who will take these dogs that are, unwanted. There are a lot of people out there that want to take the dog that no one else does. So if I, so my one advice to, you know, to rescues and shelters out there would be just post it, post the dog, put all of that information out there, get some cute pictures and see what happens. I think a lot of times shelters might be nervous about liability or giving them a dog that may pass away soon, but just be brutally honest about that. I mean, if a dog has four months to live, a dog has four months to live and there's somebody out there who will give that dog a great four months. We have a pretty good social media following right now. And usually when we do a post about one of our dogs, even if it's a hospice dog or a dog in a wheelchair, we will get applications and people, I mean, obviously we're not getting hundreds of applications if it if it was a labradoodle puppy but we are getting those people that know what they're doing and know what they're getting into and it, it's it's great it's a wonderful match well we're going to talk about your marketing because you've done just such a great job with it oh, thank you. yeah well i mean listen i had a quick story the last dog i had in my life uh, everybody listens to the podcast at all knows i'm a cat guy uh, but spock was his name he's a big black lab mix uh, about 12 years ago, maybe, my wife rescued him. He was in the middle of a freeway, rural Michigan, standing there, and, and he was just a total mess. You try to find if anybody out there knew him, a farmer. Nobody knew him. Nobody was looking for him. And the vet gave him, you know, a couple weeks, a couple months, maybe. Uh, and he ended up living a couple of years. And Spock was great, but he had cognitive issues, dementia. You know, it just wasn't a situation where you, the pet owner, you're going to have a relationship. You're going to have a bond, but it's a different connection. You know, not 
what you would have with a younger pet. Not bad, just different. And I think that to me goes back to this point that pet ownership, it does not just take one form. It's not always this, you know, Marley and me Hollywood version. An eight-year-old dog, a 12-year-old cat have plenty to offer people. We just have sort of been trained almost to believe that that's not true. So I do think we have to do a better job of talking about it, you know, whether it's senior pets or anything else. FIV cats, I'll tell you, FIV cat, think about how far we've come with the public explaining FIV, explaining the disease, and that positive cats can still make great pets, can live long lives. There is an adopter for every animal, right? I believe that. And all animals in their own ways, each of them brings something to, to our lives. Absolutely. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, um, I think it's a different, and that's the thing, it's, you're not going to like if if you're trying to market a 16 year old dog with that's blind who has dementia and needs a belly band you're not going to get those people that want a puppy and you shouldn't try to get those people who want a puppy they're not they're not your your audience and out of the you know 20,000 people that are following your Facebook page, there might be six that say, that's the dog I want, but you only really need one of them to step up and adopt the dog. So really that's, I mean, you just really have to figure out, okay, this dog isn't for everyone. I'm not going to force somebody who wants a puppy to take this dog, but there is somebody out there that like that th- this is this is exactly what they want. Um, it's a different kind of mentality for those people that take in the senior dogs and the sick dogs. It really is. So we know that positive marketing always wins. Uh, and but you also talked about transparency. You know, being real about the pet and the situation and those situations. Right? What a fifteen-year-old dog is going through. I mean, those that's tough. Even just the medical stuff alone. It can be tough to kind of absorb. So how do you balance that, especially with the public, of telling the story without it being something where people will just say, listen, Vintage Pet Rescue, love you guys, but I just, I can't do it. I can't do it anymore. I got to unfollow your Facebook page. I can't take seeing another 15-year-old dog with mats and a cloudy eye and a leg thing. Even though I know you're helping, I'm thankful for you, but I just can't, I just don't want to look at it anymore. I mean, how do you balance all of that? Yeah, we are big thing. We really, really try not to really do anything sad. Um, the only time we post, um, a, you know, a sad post is when we actually, when we lose one of the dogs in our care. But even then we try to kind of have it be a celebration of, you know, that dog's life. I mean, obviously it's, you know, it's not an eight month old puppy that's passing away. That's tragic. Um, It's a dog who's lived a long life and has been happy and has been cared for. So we try to focus on, on the good things, even if it's a few weeks that we've had with the dog. We really, when we post our dogs for adoption, we, we kind of, we gloss over the sad stuff. We'll say maybe a little bit about, you know, kind of the situation of where the dog came from, but we, we're really not fans of bashing previous owners or previous situations. Um, We just try to kind of focus on the dog and their personality and what, you know, what their future 
can hold. We really don't want to go in there with the whole, oh, this dog was found in a dumpster and covered in flea. Like we don't really do that. That's not, that's not our thing. So we really just try to focus on the dog and we try to do it with humor a lot. That's kind of our thing. We did uh, a few months ago, we did a, an ad where we talked about our dogs, like they were used cars and we were a used car salesman and, you know, bald tires and clean interior and high mileage and stuff, which, you know, people really enjoyed, but we, yeah, we just try to do it with humor. We try, we're just super honest and we try to do it with humor and we think it really, it really helps um, people kind of connect with the dogs. Well, you're still growing. I mean, you're still a new organization, but you know, where are you this year? I mean, how many animals, how many dogs do you think you're going to be able to help uh, this year? Oh boy. Um, I have a whole spreadsheet, but I haven't counted in a while. Well, I'll tell you this, this week alone, we're taking in nine. (laughs) So (laughs) we're crazy. And just so you know, that's nine dogs coming into our home. Yeah, your home is big, thankfully. I mean, I think it's actually an old church. Yes, it is. Yes, yes. So we live in an old we live in an old church that was built in the 60s. Um, it's perfect for what we're doing. Um, but these dogs, we don't use fosters right away. A lot of rescues, they're all foster based. So a dog coming into the rescue is actually going into a foster home immediately. These dogs are actually, they come into our home and they live here with all our other dogs and we evaluate them and we get a sense of their personality. We get them completely vetted. And after that, they'll go either to a foster or, or an adopter. So yeah, so we're taking in nine dogs this week. Well, you help a lot of small dogs. So I'm not actually sure of the accounting in that case. Like you say nine, but they're so small maybe like four and a half? Well, we did take in a lab this week. So we can, so that counts as one. <laughs> but yes, they do. Most, most of the dogs, the, the vast majority of the dogs we take in are all under 15 pounds. Well, is that a preference thing? Because I think that's an interesting question as well. When we look at how can I, you know, rescue a rescue organization, how can I help You know, is this for you, the smaller dogs? Are you just into smaller dogs? Or is it that you're seeing that need there and you're going where that need is? It's, yeah, it's the need. I mean, obviously smaller dogs live longer. So I think, you know, most of the time it's like, oh, I have, you know, my friend passed away and she had four senior chihuahuas. You don't really hear many people say, oh, we have four 15-year-old lads. Um, So that's kind of where the need is. We're actually taking in a 20-year-old chihuahua this week. So yeah, so I think the smaller dogs, it's just more more of a need. Most of, outside of the, most of the dogs that we do take in are from people who are elderly and either pass away or going to a nursing home. So most of the time they have smaller dogs. So yeah, so smaller dogs is kind of, it's more of a necessity. What's the relationship you have with your adopters? You know, it's a such a unique thing, I think, because ordinarily, you know, over 15 years, unlikely that a shelter or rescue organization is going to stay in contact with an adopter, right? But for you, that pet may pass not long after you even complete the adoption. Pets that fall into this age category, generally pretty expensive, right? All the ailments. Do you provide financial support? And I would even say maybe even more importantly, do you provide emotional support? I mean, losing a pet is 
tough. It, it doesn't matter whether, you know, it's your Marley and me 15 years or, you know, me with Spock, it's still hard saying goodbye to Pats. Absolutely. Yeah. We, we stay really, really closely in touch with our adopters and especially our forever fosters. So our forever foster program, um, when we take in a dog who has a lot of medical needs, maybe, you know, diabetic or in kidney failure or in heart failure, and they require expensive medications every month and maybe vet visits monthly or, you know, bi-monthly, we'll put them into our forever foster program. Um, And basically what that is, is we find a great home for this dog. And it's basically like they're adopting the dog. The dog is theirs. They can make all the decisions for the dog. Um, We just pay the bills. So they take the dog to their own vet. They make all the decisions um, for the dog's care. And then at the end of the visit, the vet just calls us and we give them our credit card number and we pay for the bills. We're vi- we're really close to our Forever Fosters. Um, right now we have, I believe, 26 dogs in Forever Foster homes. So we will pay for their medical care for the rest of their lives. With our adopters, we're always here. And we, we tell this to every adopter that we're always here if they need anything. So if they adopt a dog from us, we, we did, we had a, we had a wonderful couple adopt a little, a dog from us, a little cocker spaniel who did have some back end weakness, but after two weeks, she completely stopped walking and they, it was, you know, they brought her to the emergency vet. They wanted to do an MRI. I mean, that's $3,000 right there. I'm not going to have someone who just adopted a dog from us two weeks ago paid $3,000. So we covered those costs. Um, if a dog that gets adopted from us needs to have a dental or an echocardiogram right, you know, right after they're adopted, then we will pay those costs. And we tell this um, to our adopters that we'll take care of anything they, they need, you know, going forward. That's great, but very expensive over time. <laughs> Do you know offhand uh, rough percentage, even, you know, you're, you're putting your budget together. How much are you allocating on veterinary care? Yeah. So our vet bills and medication is about um, 80% of our budget. That's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. It's, I mean, it's, and it's, it's so, I mean, four years ago, if you had told me that we'd be spending this much at the vet, I would have just, I would have laughed. I would have said, you're crazy because I thought we'd have just, you know, a small rescue and take in maybe 10 dogs a year and yay, but it's, it's a business and it is, it's, it's crazy how, how much it has grown in the, in, in the four years. And it's, I mean, it really shows how much of a need is out there for these, rescues that focus on the senior dogs and the hospice dogs and the medical dogs, because there are just so many rescues that just won't even take dogs. And it's hard when, when people, you know, because like I said, most of the dogs we get are from elderly people who just, they don't, they don't have any options. I mean, if you're going into a nursing home that doesn't allow pets and, you have your little 15-year-old chihuahua. What, I mean, what do you do? A lot of times people think that they just have to go to the vet and have their dog euthanized. That's their only option. So thankfully, we have a lot of vets that know about us, that will call us and 
we just we actually just went the other day. We went yesterday to pick up a dog who was scheduled to be euthanized at the vet. And we went and we we picked him up. So I think a lot of times people judge owners who make that decision, but people a lot of times people don't know. People don't know that there are rescues out there that will take in a 15 or 16 year old dog. Um, and I hope that by getting some publicity with our rescue and the other, you know, I think there's about 40 rescues in the country that focus on senior dogs. I hope that we could have one in every state or two in every state. I think that would be, that would be wonderful. 40. I mean, my God, that's hardly any, I knew it wasn't a lot. I mean, I talked to Lisa and, you know, I'd done some research, but 40, I mean, that's shocking. I can't remember offhand how many animal welfare nonprofits there are and shelters, but between the two that would serve, you know, the types of organizations that would serve senior pets. I mean, we're talking about like tens of thousands, 30,000 or something like that. So, I mean, really that's wild. And and I know it doesn't take into account the number of organizations that do senior pet programs that aren't solely focused, but still it's, you know, just to have so few focused in that way just seems so, wow. It's well there. So there's, um, a group that every year we do uh, Saving Senior Dogs Week. And I believe there's 25 senior dog rescues involved in this effort. And it's just a week where we kind of get out there and try to fundraise and that money goes to the different rescues. Um, but I believe, yeah, I believe last year, the number, I think there are, I think there are around 40 there might be more. There might be smaller ones that we we don't know about, but I think there are, there are about 40 that just focus on the senior dogs. Lisa from Gray Muzzle said this when I talked to her, but you know, she said one thing we can all do is to carefully think about how we talk about senior pets, about senior pet ownership. And as I said earlier, you know, your marketing has really stood out in in the way that I think you've talked about senior pets, but done it in such a uh, an interesting and hilarious way. Uh, and and you've been able to garner a lot of press, national press, for some of the things you're doing. And if we have you and Vintage Pet Rescue on the podcast, uh, I have to have you tell the story of Fark. Oh boy, Fark, our vi- our viral fame. When I first met Mark, he had a pug named Shorty, and Shorty was like you were saying, like his heart dog. I mean, this dog was his his soul. He had him since he was four, and obviously. When we moved here to Rhode Island, Shorty was a lot older. I mean, I think he was about 13 or 14 when we moved here. Mark traveled a lot for work and he would always bring Shorty with him. Well, unfortunately, as Shorty got older, he just wasn't able to travel. So Shorty would stay here when Mark would travel. And this dog would, he was was inconsolable. He just did not want anyone to hold him. I would, I would try to hold him. I would try to sit with him. He would just cry the whole time. He wanted Mark. He would sit in a corner and bark when Mark wasn't here. My mom was over one day and she was trying to hold Shorty and trying to give him love. And he just wanted, he just wanted Mark. He was so upset. So my mom went home that night and she actually went online and she ordered a full size dummy from a Halloween store and like full size person, you know, like you'd seen a department store like Macy's, not a mannequin. Like this is like a soft dummy that you would use to dress up, maybe like a scare, what you would do to use, make a scarecrow or something, or like a Halloween pirate. 
on your front step or something. So it was soft. Oh, so Fark is flexible. He can bend. He could bend, but yes. But like, we're talking like a, a six foot dummy. And so she, she brought it over and I just, I just started laughing, but I was like, okay, let's, let's try this. For some reason I had these tattoo sleeves from Halloween one year. So I put those on because Mark has tattoos and we put on a shirt that Mark had already worn um, that wasn't washed. We put on that shirt, put on a, a hat, put a little blanket on the lap. And then we sat Shorty down and wrapped the arms around him. And it was honestly the cutest thing. I I thought this would just be a funny photo op. I didn't think it would actually work. I mean, Shorty just laid on the chest, looked up and fell asleep and slept in the arms of this dummy for hours. And all the other dogs loved it too. So we have so many pictures of Fark. So, and it's named Fark because it's fake Mark. So it's Fark. And we have so many pictures of six or seven of our dogs just laying on this dummy. I mean, if you really think about it, it's perfect. It's a human that doesn't get up off the couch. So they just... They think it's the best thing ever. So they just love cuddling with it. And it's funny you bring up Fark because the original Fark was starting to look a little worn. And I actually ended up buying another one that just arrived a couple days ago. So we have two Farks in the house right now. Well, clearly all of those senior dogs have bad eyesight, Kristen, because uh, the real Mark Peralta is not close to six feet tall. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And and this 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 dummy is so white too. I mean, it looks like Justin Bieber. It definitely does not look like my husband at all, but it smelled like him and it, it you know, Shorty has since passed, but we've used it for so many dogs that we bring in who are, you know, have some separation anxiety or have any sort of anxiety and they love it. They just think they just love laying on the legs and having the arm wrapped around them. It's It's been really great. I mean, what a story though. It's just so crazy. <laughs> I know. I Listen, I don't want this to become like a whole FARC focused podcast, but I do have follow-up questions. Does Mark get jealous? And when Mark is home, does FARC go away? Like, do you have to mash Fark into a closet? Well, so we, it's, it's just a big joke now. So we'll, you know, we'll just bring, we bring Fark out. Fark is actually downstairs right now in the rescue room because we have a couple dogs that need some, some support down there. But no, Fark will sit, you know, Fark will sit on the couch and we'll all sit on the couch and watch TV. And it's just funny now. It's just, it's just hilarious. Uh, just another day at the office, I guess. Right. So, but that, I mean, the whole point of having you tell that story was to highlight this creative, hilarious solution to a problem uh, that everybody can use. But more importantly, I think you recognize how good of a story that was to tell the story of senior pets and animal rescue. And I mean, it just was great. And you got it out into the media. I think I even saw it in People. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was in it was in People. I think the Huffington Post wrote about it. We had our local news come and and do something. So yeah, it it was all over. And it's still, I mean, I still get tagged in in it. It's still being shared online all the time. Well, I can't wait to see the next round of media for FARC 2. Okay, yes. Well, I might actually name this one Friston. Well, it'll have long hair and it will be me. So we'll see. Honestly, your house is starting to sound like a place I never want to go. It's going to be really creepy. <laughs> well, if nothing else, you're going to be a huge hit at Halloween in the neighborhood. Uh, well, listen, I think the last, one of the last things is advice. 
you've been up and running for a few years now. This work, senior pet work has its own complexities. And we know we need more people doing this, saving senior dogs and cats. So what do you wish you'd known before you started? It's interesting in this case, because I think there are so few groups doing this work in in the way you and, and Mudville and others are, that we don't have as many models to look at to understand approaches. Like you want to know how to get your community to no kill. I've got thousands of communities that I can point you to, to look at, but here, you know, we're talking about like 40, you know, a few dozen organizations. So anyway, I think anytime we can get advice from people like you doing this kind of work uh, is super valuable. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, th- I think trying to figure out, what your goal is. Um, I mean, obviously we, we started off, this was going to be a retirement home. We were going to keep all the dogs here in our home until they, they passed away. Again, this is when we thought it wouldn't be that big and we wouldn't have this much of a need that did not work because we had so many people that wanted us to take dogs. And obviously we can't just keep bringing dogs in and not sending any out. So that's um, when we then had to kind of tweak a bit and do the forever fosters and do the adoption program. So I think having a clear cut idea of what you want to do at first um, is good. And just realizing that it might change based on the need. And then also, I mean, when we first started, we defined, we said, oh, we'll take in dogs that are eight, eight years and up. That was a senior dog to us that's so many dogs. Um, it's, and, and honestly, an eight-year-old dog is very adoptable still. So that's when we kind of tweaked it and said, okay, we're going to do, you know, age 15 and up and really focus on those harder to adopt dogs and also the hospice dog, the, the diabetics, the paralyzed dogs. So really kind of finding your niche, I guess, is a really good thing. And I think, to be honest, having a niche helps with the marketing a lot. There are hundreds of rescues in Rhode Island and most of their following is within Rhode Island where our following is really all over, I mean, all over the the world. I mean, we have people from New Zealand and England and Canada commenting on all our, all our stuff um, because really we're just, even though we only adopt to a small portion of you know, the US, you know, our stories are just kind of niche and they they get shared and people love it. And then we do little things like FARC that get shared in people. And then we just get this this much bigger reach. And I think having just a niche that you can focus on really, really helps with that. Yeah. And honestly, just well, find a good vet and hold on tight, right? Exactly. We have a really wonderful relationship, really wonderful relationship with our, our vet. I mean, we have a standing appointment every week. um, And then we go in two to three more times a week. So we're there all the time and they, they know us. We have a great relationship. That's, that's a huge, huge thing. And then also, I mean, I think a lot of people where they get over their heads is they, they forget the business side of it. We could not do this without fundraising. We are not millionaires. We would, we cannot fund this on our own. So the fundraising is is so important just to make sure that you are bringing in the money you need to cover those vet bills and to cover the transport costs and to cover every, you know, you just don't know how much you need and what you, you know, 
what you need until you start, but just making sure that you have that funding is, is so key. So, and social media, social media is the way we, we do that most of the time. All of, most of our funding comes from social media. Well, we've predictably gone longer than I promised you uh, we would because I talk a lot. So I know I've been keeping you from uh, all the things you got on your to-do list today, probably, you know, I don't know, feeding, medicating, uh, stroller pushing, <laughs> funny marketing, uh, Instagram videos. So was there anything we didn't talk about that you want people to know about senior pets about saving them? Yeah, I just think, I think people, a lot of people kind of had this when they say, oh, I want, you know, I want the dog that no one else wants. It's kind of like this fairy tale in their head that, oh, they're going to save this dog and it's going to be wonderful. There's a, there's a reason that nobody wants the dog. Just know that it's reality, that the dog probably pees everywhere. The dog might, need six different options of food before it eats. The dog might need to be syringe fed. Just be prepared for taking care of a, of, you know, taking care of a senior dog and learning, learning with that dog, what works, what you need to do. I mean, taking in a senior dog is not for everyone and that's okay. But the people who want, you know, want to take the plunge and want to take on their first senior dog, if they adopt from us, we're always here. We're always ready to help them and give suggestions. But if you adopt a senior dog from a shelter, they might not be able to help you as much, but just know that it's, you know, it's a learning experience, but it's very, very rewarding. If you stick with it and give the dog some time to decompress, it's, it's very rewarding. The team behind this program, Tawny Hammond, Amy Charlton, Bethany Hines, Kayla Sebo, Whitney Blyton, and Mark Peralta. My name is John Dunn, and this is the Best Friends Podcast.